everyone, welcome back to Redrawing the Bath. This is your host, Chris Harmon, and today I have the special opportunity of welcoming to the show someone who means a lot to me and my wife, someone who has taken on many roles to many different people. He's a pastor, he's an author, he's a professor, he's a dear friend and a brother. Today I have the special opportunity to welcome the man who officiated Abby in my wedding and has co-written books with Francis Chan, the author of the book Resonate, and the mastermind behind the blog Jackass Theology. Today I have the special opportunity to welcome to the show Mark Buving. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks, Chris. Glad to be here, man. So I want to start out by talking about just a little bit about you and, and where you've come from and, and what your faith journey has looked like over the course of the, the last few years. Yeah, for sure. So, um, okay, so I, I grew up like pretty pretty conservative Christian, uh, Christian family, Christian school, like the whole thing, the whole bubble. I uh, went to college and that's where I kind of... Uh, felt the Lord's call to go into ministry, which is, you know, a very churchy way of saying it, but just mm-hmm. had this, this overwhelming sense of like, this is what I want to do with my life. And so for me, um, what that meant at the time, just kind of the circles that I was in, it meant, uh, the master's seminary. And I remember having a, um, a professor, I, I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, just a, a state college. And, um, this professor was saying, uh, if you could go anywhere, you know, for seminary, where would you go? He was suggesting places like Princeton or whatever. And I was like, oh, I am going to the one place that I want to go, which is the master's seminary. Because hmm. for me, John MacArthur was a really big deal. And I learned so much from him. I mean, college for me was like, you know, I had kind of an apathetic Christian um, experience prior to that. Like that's you know, my parents did a great job, but I just that's kind of my experience within it. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming to college, it was like man, I had people uh, opening scripture with me. I was like reading that thing nonstop, like just digging, digging in. And there was a ton, I would say, honestly, looking back, there's a ton of legalism in me and in that circle of like, you've got to be reading your Bible X amount. Otherwise, like, are you even serious about this thing? Hmm. Um, And I think it served me well at the time from the standpoint of I really got to know the Bible well. Um, But looking back, I see a lot of a lot of stuff that you know, I had to kind of deconstruct. So anyway, but John MacArthur was like a big piece of that. And he, um, his, his Bible teaching, his clarity, his, um, conviction about the word of God was awesome to me. So I went down to seminary, um, and it was kind of like, dur- like during that time, um, of being at the master seminary with John MacArthur, um, it was awesome. It was still really good for my faith. I feel like I got a great education. Um, but in the midst of it, it's when I'd started seeing some things where I'm like, oh, that's, that's like not really kind of how I view my relationship with God or how God views this issue or this group of people or whatever. And some of that Mm -hmm. was like, I was, I was part of John, um, Francis Chan's church down there. And he, he also is a very conservative guy, but has a very different like air about how he approaches his faith and everything. And so it was cool for me to kind of see at that time, two different approaches to, okay, both people are taking the Bible super seriously. Both people love God and have totally devoted their, their lives to him. And yet there's like a, there's, you know, two ways of doing the same thing in a sense. Hmm. And so, um, so for me, that's, that's kind of like, I've been sort of deconstructing from the master's world. A lot of it's just the doctrinal certainty. Um, It's not, it's not the emphasis on scripture that I have been um, pulling back from. It's the, it's the certainty and it's the um, insistence that anyone who disagrees in even the smallest detail um, is a heretic and must be divided from. 
Hmm. So for me, that's led, you know, I've been, um, I, I taught at Eternity Bible College for a number of years, like 10 years. And um, I've been up here now in Sacramento area in California. And um, I've been a, a, in pastoral ministry now. And um, there, there's just this sense of like, we're all, we're all just doing our best to love God. We're all trying to reach out and love the people around us. And um, over the last like several years, I've just noticed like there's there is this sense in which we as followers of Jesus should have the greatest heart for the people around us. Hmm. We should be loving them. We should be caring for them. We should be following Jesus example of laying ourselves down for the people around us. But what I keep seeing is there's this immense pull for Christians and especially in conservative evangelical circles to sort of surround ourselves with doctrine and to... Um, to make it really about the doctrine. And mm -hmm. it's almost like we use the Bible to keep us um, safe from other people who disagree or to keep us safe sometimes, I think, from what God is actually calling us to. Mm -hmm. And so that has led, as you as you mentioned, that has led to jackass theology. So we, <laughs> um, the, the, uh, the other uh, pastor I've been pastoring with, Ryan McDiarmid, he, it was his idea. And he said, uh, let's, let's start a blog um, and let's call it the asshole hermeneutic. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought, boy, that's a brilliant idea. I'm not sure if we can get away with that. Um, and it was kind of, it was kind of spoken like in a, in the heat of like, we, we just saw this really, um, just this really kind of hateful thing in the name of Jesus, like in the name of conservative mm -hmm. theology. And it was kind of like, that's, that's what this is. It's not being biblical. It's just being a jerk. And, um, so that evolved into jackass theology, which I think is, is, um, better in some ways anyways. And, um, so we, we did a blog on that and it's been really cool to see the response to it. And the whole thing with it is not saying, uh, that, Oh, everybody, but us is a jackass because of how they treat stuff. It's looking, it's first acknowledging ourselves. Um, we have this tendency as much as anyone else that we've ever seen. Um, we come from the place of, we think we're right about the Bible. We think everybody else is wrong. Hmm. And, um, rather than, interacting with people with love, with grace, allowing for difference of opinion. What we do in the name of truth is we treat other people poorly. We are jackasses to them. And we call that being biblical or we call it love for God. And in reality, it's not the way of Jesus whatsoever. And so as we've kind of posted some of that, we've, we've also um, tried to show how different things out there in like conservative Christian culture um, are examples of us and we consider ourselves part of this us being jackasses in a lot of ways hmm. and so that's been really healing for us to explore we've talked to so many people that it's been healing for them to look at different examples of some of these things and see how um just how much we do tend to equate some of these things as litmus tests of who is biblical or who's faithful to god and uh, just sort of trying to give us all permission to say, okay, actually, that's not the way that it actually should be. It's not the way that God designed it. It's not what he wants for his church or his people or whatever. So, hmm. yeah, so that's, I mean, there's the journey in a nutshell. That's the, maybe about the shortest version I can give of it. Yeah, no. And that's, that's what I, I love about, I mean, that's what I love about you. And that's what I love about the, the, the blog, especially is, is that I, having kind of watched it from its uh, inception you don't really discriminate against who you attack or not attack who you address, including yourselves. It, it, it's been a, it's been such a cool journey to see you guys be very open about some of the things that happen in the church and also some of the things that, that happen in yourselves 
in, in the sense yeah. that you guys have no problem being like, yeah, this was a jackass move. And, and yeah. guess what? Like I do that too. Yeah, um, exactly. But you have to, you have, I think you have to do it that way. I, I think um, we've always tried to be careful with it uh, to say we are the biggest jackasses that we know. Hmm. And, um, and you know, it's, it, I mean, it's like, it's like Paul said, right? Like um, all are jackasses and fall short of the glory of God, right? That's like a, <laughs> a, a intentional mis, mistranslation of that. But I think that's the point of it, right? Is like, how, like we, we know none of us is perfect, right? So we know that. And yet somehow we act like, uh, like, like we, that's a realistic expectation or something that like, maybe we should be perfect, at least in some areas. And so we're trying to set the tone of, um, man, when we do, when we do cross that line and we, we can look back on a situation or see it, find ourselves in it in the moment and say, you know what, this isn't right. This isn't the way, like, I know for sure, like there's, there's such a thing as absolute truth. I believe Mm-hmm. there's um god there's right there's wrong there's like what he like his god's view of the world is going to be the right one but at the same time you have to always look at okay if that if that's the truth what does it look like when truth puts on flesh and lives as humanity we don't even have to wonder what that is that's who jesus is he is the truth mm-hmm. in human form and then when you look at how jesus was with people he was not beating them over the head he was not um trying to separate everyone who disagreed from him. he was just they're loving people and he was drinking with people and, and partying with them and eating with like, honestly, eating with everything from the tax collectors and sinners who were the outcasts in society to um, eating with the Pharisees themselves. Like he just was with people. And so if we wonder what would truth look like in a given situation, all we have to do is ask, what would Jesus do? And, uh, and it clarifies. So anyway, so that's like, we're trying to say, this is our problem. I have tried to share on the blog sometimes like ways that I've, I, th- there's this historical moment where I was this huge jackass to Ryan. We actually went to college together and I thought he was like a heretic and maybe not even saved because he didn't believe in predestination in the same way that I did. And um, <laughs> so we, which is, it's so ridiculous looking back yeah. on it, but that was like a real thing for me. Yeah. And so, um, so we try to share that stuff, but then also, you know, stuff like, um, you know, there was, there's a, case where everyone's questioning Francis Chan's faith because he was in a selfie with Benny Hinn, you know, and then um, uh, Beth Moore like takes a beating all the time in in public circles, as people say, just the most horrifying things about her and to her or whatever. And so we're trying to just call everybody to say, hey, we're not we're not telling anybody to compromise on their convictions, but like, let's at least try to be like Jesus and how we go about that. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that of, of that it that it really is all about Jesus. And it's it's so and that's what really through my deconstruction process really kept me sane in so many different ways. Of there there was a period where I couldn't read Paul. It, to be yeah. completely honest, I could not sure. read Paul. Uh, because sure. I looked at it through through this very hyper Calvinist, very I know what this says, and it says that what I'm doing is wrong. And and sometimes it it's st- <laughs> it still does, but yeah. In in that moment, everything pointed to back to what I knew, and I knew that what I knew was wrong. And so, in those months, all I could do was read the words of Jesus. And I find it so interesting. And and I have a theory. I don't know if you would confirm or, or deny this, but I have a fear a theory that that's why so much of the evangelical, or I guess more so the Reformed Church, spends so much time in Paul and so little time in the Gospels, is because they know what to do with Paul, but there are moments with Jesus where they just really, 
I don't yeah. know what to do. I mean, I'm only 23, yeah. but I don't, I don't know what to do. And yeah, for sure. I'm so, only 38. And I don't either. So <laughs> what would really you say? Though, like, I, I had, like, I, so I had a professor in seminary that said, um, so you know, he's talking about the way the new Testament canon was pieced together. So, mm-hmm. um, you have the gospels first, cause they're about Jesus. Then we have, um, all of Paul's letters and they go from order of longest to shortest. And then you have the, what they call the general epistles like Peter and James and Hebrews and all that. And it's again, longest to shortest. And they were saying, how much different would the modern church be had they put the general epistles before Paul's letters? Um, mm. So like they, they were saying, you know, Romans and first Corinthians, all it gets a lot more attention than the other ones. And they think likely just because they came first. And, and, and so it's not to say that the there's disagreements necessarily between them, but there is for sure a difference in emphasis and if you think of James, you know, it's like, it's like what's pure and undefiled religion, what's, um, you know, faith without works, like all these emphases that if you can imagine those emphases taking a higher role than the emphases that we tend to pull out of Paul, Paul has all the same things in there, but we do tend to emphasize, like, like you were saying, some of those, you know, like Calvinistic doctrines and those kinds of things that I mm-hmm. honestly still believe, but, mm-hmm. um, but, but it's the emphasis. So, so we wrote a, um, we wrote a, one of the blog posts we wrote was, um, suggesting that you that we try reading the Gospels uh, more than we read Paul, or more than or the same amount that we read Paul, and just suggesting maybe there's a uh, difference in emphasis that would come if we steeped ourselves more in the Gospels than we did in Paul. And um, and there's some pushback on that because it's like no 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 don't tell me not to read part of the Bible, but it shouldn't be that crazy of a suggestion to say, let's start with Paul himself said, um, you know, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So if we even take Paul's advice and say, let's focus on the gospels, let's not, we don't have to be dismissive of what Paul said. Although I, I totally get that side you're saying of like, man, it was hard for me to read him for a while. I totally Mm -hmm. get that. I've heard a lot of people say the exact same thing, but, um, yeah, there's, there's like a difference in emphasis. Um, I think there's a uh, I think they pair well together, but I think that difference in emphasis would serve our like evangelical world well right now to to have a renewed focus on Jesus because it's not just about the words and the doctrine. It you you get to pick up this whole thing about how Jesus was with mm. people, and it's huge. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I have a I have a question for you I, that I was thinking about as as you were talking in the sense that, um. So you you went to school with John MacArthur and then you went to Francis Chan's church. And one of the things that, that I hear a lot in, in the circles that I run in, and sometimes I even see where there's a point to it myself, is is you can put that reformed theology into like a V-neck and skinny jeans, but it's still <laughs> gonna be the same reformed theology. You, yeah. you know what I mean? And and yeah, I, I would be interested to hear like, and I, I know with jackass theology, you're really pushing for more of a, a, a third way, but I'd be interested to hear how you would respond to something like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I, I think that that comes with a, um, a certain view of reformed theology, obviously mm-hmm. what's funny. So, okay, here's, what's funny. I heard, um, John MacArthur talk about, um, he was so upset at the, like this, and this was years ago. So I, I'm not, I'm not really trying to be critical. Honestly, I just am trying to highlight some of the, the like, patterns of thinking that like get us in there. So I, he said this, I sort of agree with it, but even then it was like, what, this is weird. He was saying that the kind of young reformed crowd, um, he was, he was like, okay, their doctrine is great because they're reformed, 
but they think they get this pass because they have their like ripped jeans and stuff like that. Like he's like, no, you can't get people into the kingdom of God by being cool. And so he basically, it was like, it was like he had a problem with their, the way they were dressing because he thought they were just trying to convince people to follow Jesus because they were cool. And um, I just, I, yeah. it's funny that you said that whole like skinny jeans and V-neck thing. Like it, I agree on, on one. So against MacArthur on that, um, the doctrine's the same both places. And I think that confirms it. I, I would say, dude, there is um, absolutely the doctrine can be the same both places. You can change some of the veneer of it hmm. to make it look, look and feel a little bit different. What I would say has to matter the most. I, I'm so I, I consider myself still like, I'm probably honestly pretty close to a five point Calvinist. Like there's a few that I'd like tweak a little bit, but the biggest shift for me has been trying to take first Corinthians 13 very seriously when it says, you know, if I knew um, all mysteries and all knowledge, you know, and if I could speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and if I get my body to be burned, but I don't have love that I am nothing. Um, like that's like, that's the, the dressing up of some of these reform doctrines that is needed. So mm-hmm. regardless of what I believe about like how much God determines, you know, what happens versus what my free choice is, um, like that can lead me to be a jackass to people if I, if I, um, interpret that wrong. But if I'm, if I'm doing that, like if my doctrinal convictions make me less like Jesus in how I act, then my theology is wrong. Like, honestly, regardless of how correct it is or what verses I can cite, my theology is wrong. I suspect though, that it's less about the doctrines that we're emphasizing and more about the lack of love that's in our heart. So what I would say is, um, yeah, do you dress it up in V-neck and skinny jeans? It doesn't matter at all. It's the same thing. Like you can, there's a lot, honestly, there's, there's a lot of similarities between John MacArthur and Mark Driscoll, um, in how yeah. like they carry themselves and what they believe and all that kind of stuff. Um, the key is, are we like dressing ourselves up in love? And is that like, do we actually believe that knowing all these right answers to these things is totally, absolutely worthless if we don't have love first that's flowing through it all? Because I think um, you can be like, it's not about softening your doctrine. I don't think it's about um, holding whatever convictions you have, hold those convictions, but make sure that you're loving with people because that's the whole point of it all anyways. Hmm. That's a, that's a bit, sorry. I don't know if that gets to what you're asking, but no, totally. And that's a, that's a very profound, I I don't know if I can use this word, but it's a very prophetic place to be in where, where you're like, have your convictions, but make sure that they're rooted in love. It, it, yeah, it's much less about the, as as the prophets would say, like, I hate your festivals and I hate your hall. Like, Yes. I hate your holy days. Like I want you to love yes. people. Like I want you to obey the the law that you were given, which is to love God and love people. And I, I think that's yes. so profound. And that that is one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is is because you you have this theology, but you're speaking truth into the the power structure that is American evangelicalism. Yeah, for sure. I I really think, man. People um, uh, people think that to be a more loving church or a more loving Christian, you have to like let go of your convictions. And I don't think that's true at all. I mean, I, I think you do see sometimes you see churches going in a more liberal direction and pretty soon they're okay with people that do this and they're okay with people to do that. And, and so you can paint it like this slippery slope, like, oh yeah, they're loving because they don't believe in anything. Um, and I think sometimes that's true, but honestly, um, 
what a sad thing that we equate becoming more loving and welcoming with being liberal. Like if mm-hmm. you consider yourself a conservative and you're saying, oh yeah, these guys are so loving and open, they must be liberal. Um, mm-hmm. That's a super sad indictment on yourself, right? Like yeah. if love is not the hallmark of, of conservatism, then like conservatism would be a terrible place to be. And, yeah. um, and I think it, and I think honestly, it often is a terrible place to be for exactly that reason. And I think, and I, dude, I love that you're, you're like quoting the prophets on that because it is a hundred percent. It's nothing new. It's always been God's message. It's always been the heart of the whole thing anyways. And Jesus had to come back. Like God sent the prophets to remind people of that. Jesus reminded people of that. Paul reminds people of that as much as anybody else. Honestly, he, Paul is so big on love and grace, like, but we just Mm -hmm. miss it for, for overemphasis on other things. And it's, it's like absolutely huge, um, but but it's somehow we somehow we lose it in the midst of all that. So, and, and I think so. Just I'm going to add one more little like soapbox in here. But like, yeah. what you just did in quoting a verse that shows the centrality of love in the midst of the whole thing, like you're being you're being biblical in that. Like you can you could stand there and like Bible beat on that passage, and no one's going to call you about like it's it's you're unbiblical when you stop overemphasizing this or that pet doctrine that I have. But when you insist on a literal interpretation, like love your neighbor as yourself, then you're considered liberal for some reason. You know what I'm saying? Like you can stand there and insist on a literal interpretation of certain parts of the Bible. But if it's the passages about love and humility and forgiveness and grace, then you're dismissed as liberal. And um, I, which is, it's sad. Like it's a sad, it's a sad way to, to like, see the fruit of some of the conservative movement that it comes out in staunch certainty over certain doctrines, but neglect of other parts of scripture for sure. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but Brian Zond has this uh, sermon where he's talking about, um, he's talking about how you can hide the best way to hide from Jesus. And he puts a Bible up to his face, like straight up to his face. And he, he says, what was that? Turn the other cheek. Oh, not now, Jesus. I'm reading Joshua. Like, <laughs> we love to we love to take the parts of the Bible that agree with us and then the parts that that really don't and that's me too like I do that all the time yeah, um, yeah of course but that oh, that is so good, that is the heart of of the mess that is the heart of Jesus that is the heart of the Bible that is the heart of God is yeah um, dude so so that that reminds me of uh, so I've I have this like huge man crush on Soren Kierkegaard who is mm-hmm. like a. Uh, oh, uh, 19th, 18th century uh, Danish philosopher. And so he, he uses this analogy that we as Christians, what we do is picture a kid that's about to get a spanking from his parent and um, he shoves the newspaper down the back of his pants to like pad the blow of the spanking. This is like his illustration that he uses. And he says, that's what we are like with scripture. We use our, our um, interpretations and our scholarship and everything else as a way of padding the blow of what Jesus and what scripture is actually going to call us to. Hmm. And I, dude, I, that, that resonates with me so much because I have felt that I've done that. Like it's, and it's not just scholarship. It's not like stop studying the Bible so that, you know, whatever it's like saying, no, like there's, there's when, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, did he actually mean that? Or do we just have ways of being creative to keep ourselves from having to wrestle with actually the fullness of what Jesus was calling us to there? Hmm. And it's, yeah, it's to kind of wrestle with that. It's not just about being this doctrinally certain jerk all the time. Like, like you, you doing that makes you less like Jesus, which means you're not actually reading the Bible anyways. 
Hmm. Yeah, no, I lo- I love that. You you mentioned you mentioned certainty, and I I, I think it's a twofold question of just out first one's just out of curiosity what are some of the things that you've you've rethought over the the course of the last few years and especially theologically and, and biblically like major things and then second talk to me more about kind of your mission behind uh jackass theology behind what we've been talking about because i my hope is through conversations like this one that people can begin who have who've gone through faith transitions can begin to embody certain spiritual disciplines or even yeah. just practical disciplines that that will prove helpful to them in their process and and in some instances will will help them avoid being hurt again yeah and yeah, so totally. I, I really want to hear what what you have to say about like what are some things that that you've that you've uh you've rethought through because so many times when i'm listening to people talk i'm like heck yeah i've rethought through that too like i totally yeah. get it like you're not the i'm yeah. not the only one thank god um but yeah. yeah uh there's there's probably i would say there's a lot and this might be like a, a dumb answer but like there's a lot that i've rethought and come to similar conclusions on you know but mm-hmm. like Doing that work of rethinking it has been really healthy for me, um, even if my position stays relatively the same. But a, a couple of things that I've done it on where I've come out in a little different spot. So I so I used to teach with Preston Sprinkle, and I, I love that dude. I think he's awesome. I don't agree with him on everything, but he's sort of publicly wrestled with um, the doctrine of hell. And maybe this seems like a stupid – like depending on who you are, this seems like the – stupidest hair splitting thing to like get worked up about. But Mm -hmm. for Preston, it was okay. The, the like standard view is like, um, at least in conservative circles is what's called eternal conscious torment. And Mm -hmm. it is that when you reject Jesus and die, then you, you go to hell and you are like the word conscious is in there in, in on intentionally to say you will be, uh, tortured for all of eternity and you will be awake for it every second. Like that is so, the fact that you will be awake for it is so important that it goes into all of our doctrinal statements and everything, including my own churches. So, um, so anyway, so that's like a, that's like a big thing. And Preston comes in and just says, um, Hey, there's this other view out there called annihilationism. And um, it's very similar in that, that, that punishment is eternal. Like there's no reversing that punishment. But mm-hmm. the difference is it's saying the wicked are destroyed and they're not awake for it forever. So Preston does this. He goes through all the scripture. Um, he makes, I think, a really compelling case for why that actually is the main way that scripture talks about it. And then he's left with kind of two passages that might kind of imply the conscious view, but that don't really like get us all the way there. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so what's crazy about it is he he does this. And in in being public about that, like he is branded a heretic, like it it like basically you find out this is a massive litmus test for a lot of people in the evangelical world. Um, not, not even belief that like, that like there is eternal life and eternal punishment, but like that the fact that everyone is going to be conscious of it when they're in there, like that is just too far for a lot of people to go to the point that they're really ugly to Preston and how they're responding to him. And so anyway, so for me, that's, that's definitely an area that I've rethought. And I, I honestly, am at a point where I just would just say, I don't know, like, I don't know which way it is. I, Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate Preston's scholarship to the point of saying, I think it legitimately could be either way. And I don't know that we're meant to have this major massive stand on it. Um, but for me prior, that would have been one of those things. that's like, it's the litmus test, man, you either are biblical or you're not, you love Jesus or you don't. And, um, and so like Preston's helped me to see, okay, weird, like something like that, that used to be a deal breaker for me is not, I, I would say the same thing about like, 
the age of the earth. You know, like there was a time mm-hmm. for me when that was like 100% deal breaker. You either believe God when he says he created the world in six literal days or you don't. And then I've, you know, read read some good stuff, looked into it and realized, okay, I don't, I don't think that's actually what Genesis is made to um, address. Like it, it may address it. It may have total implications for that. But I no longer have the, um, like it just doesn't seem like that important of a question to the Bible. And so if it's not, then why am I making it this big litmus test of who believes God and who doesn't, you know? Hmm. Um, and I've gone through similar things with like women in ministry. Like I've, I've, um, I was sure of that. I thought it was being nothing but biblical. Like I don't want it to be this way, but like if the Bible says that women can't teach, then who am I to overturn that? Like, I just need to follow what hmm. God says. And since then have done tons. And what's, what's crazy about it is I held that position for years and years and years but had never read a person with a differing view than my own. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like never. And I'd read other people's um, people addressing the arguments of egalitarians, but never read an argument myself. And so over the last like several years, I've read tons of books by egalitarians and complementarians. And I'm at a point now where I think, um, man, my convictions, I, I think I was, I still don't regret standing firm on scripture, but what I, what I learned is I, I was not giving any attention at all to the context of that, um, to what the world was like at the time, to um, specific situations that were being addressed. And so I now have now I'm, I'm part of a complementarian church and I am I am happy to submit to the other people that are around me and how we play that out. And that's like a, a live discussion and an important one. Mm-hmm. But uh, but. Uh, it was just this big process for me to engage in, and say, okay, actually, let me let me stop assuming I know where the other side's coming from, or assume that they're just being unbiblical because they disagree with me, and let me engage yeah. with the arguments and realize what tons of people have known for for you know years and years and years, which is that there's godly people on either side that like love Jesus, love the Bible, take it seriously, and are just trying to be faithful to what God's calling them to do. Like we mm. can disagree on some of these things. And there's implications for sure. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that there's the issue doesn't matter. I'm just saying that like, for me, I was in this really weak, fearful place of um, thinking that if I open myself up to the opposing arguments that like it would ruin me or make me liberal or something like that. (laughs) And I I realized that like, if the truth is the truth, it's going to hold up. And so if I open myself up to like, asking questions that people are answering, how is that going to do anything other than make me better? You know? Hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. that's, those are, those are a few of the things. Um, go ahead. Good. Oh no, that I was just going to say that's so good. Like I, I love what you just said of, of the, of the sense that I, I'm so guilty of that too, of, of having this strong biblical conviction and then never actually reading the, the, yeah. the opposing view. Amazing. Yeah, that's so I think that's like to kind of answer the second part of your question, that's um, a lot of the heart behind jackass theology is to mm-hmm. say um, it's not just like we're not asking anyone to let go of any of their doctrinal convictions. Um, I mean, unless I don't know, unless you believe the Bible tells you to be racist or something like that, like drop yeah. that one, you know, what I'm saying? <laughs> but like, but like we're not trying to tell everybody like, oh, become liberal or, um, whatever. Like I'm, I'm still very conservative in most ways. So, um, it's more about just saying like, we need a different, we need a different culture in America today. We, okay. We can all see, I hope how ugly it is in our politics. And, um, so like, you know, some people will say, well, it's uh, like, 
what Donald Trump is doing is super ugly. So other people will look at like, I don't know what Bernie Sanders or whatever is doing and say that's super ugly. But what we all know is that the division and the, the name calling and the like small, petty, childish fights and everything, like it's so ugly. We can see it in our politics. It's like we can't see it in the church, but it's there. And um, and so the the like gatekeepers to conservative Christianity are being jackasses in a lot of ways. And I would include myself in that, have been a jackass in many ways. And I think a lot of people in my generation and below are realizing like, oh, this is ugly. This this like spirit that the, these gatekeepers are holding, like it's it's not the doctrine necessarily that's turning people off. It's the it's the attitude, it's the arrogance, it's the certainty, it's the um, replacement of the attitude and heart of Jesus with doctrinal uh, boundaries and gatekeeping. Hmm. And what's sad is that what I think it does to a lot of people is they see that they see how ugly it is, and they they turn elsewhere. Um, to, to just say like, all right, well, then I guess that doctrine is super like ugly and turn elsewhere. And I think there's a lot to love about some of these same doctrines that we beat people over the head with. There's some beautiful things to love about that, but not when you've been abused by it and hit mm. over the head with it. So um, so that's a lot of what we're trying to do is, ch- is change the tone, um, change the emphasis. And it it shouldn't be radical to say like, hey, we're like, we want people to, to be like Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. And love, grace, forgiveness, patience. Like these things are like literally the fruit of the spirit. Like this is what the spirit of God is supposed to do as he like dwells in our hearts and flows out through us. It should be exhibiting in things like that. Kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And yet uh, those things seldom mark our theological conversations. They don't mark the way that we draw boundaries around our churches and who's allowed to belong and who's not. Hmm. And so we're, we're trying to just nudge people into thinking like, Hey, are, are you sure this is how Jesus would respond? Because I don't see him doing that in the Bible. So that's, that's what we hope, man. And we're going to change the world by writing some blog posts and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I, I look forward to that world change. Um, yeah. how, so how would, so for, you said something a few minutes ago talking about how there there are certain things to love about these doctrines, but not if you've been abused by them. So, yeah. so for for me and and for a lot of the people that I interact with and and run with, and in a lot of ways agree with, we were those people who who in a lot of ways were abused by these doctrines. And so, yeah. I, I think especially for me, like I'm confident to say, at least for for me and my wife and and for other people that that we've interacted with, that it not only was it safe and and best for us to kind of walk away from these things. But it was also, yeah. it 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 was safe and and it was it was the right decision to make. Um, yeah. But at the same time, like I I have so much respect for you for sticking in that world and and fighting that fight from the inside because I I know for myself I couldn't do that. Um, well, yeah, yeah, but it, but that's I mean that's part of it, right? Like I I still feel at home here in in the circles that I'm in. Um, and I think part of that is because I haven't been attacked by it in the same ways. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah. Um, it, it's easier for me. And I, like, that's, that's the privileged space that I'm in. You know, I'm a white male, um, who loves Jesus. Like <laughs> try try as they might, no one has been able to convince me that that is a persecuted minority in the United States. Yeah. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, those Starbucks um, cups though, Mark, come on. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, so anyways, all, all I'm trying to say is uh, I'm not some hero doing this. I am, I am 
in so many ways, just following the path that like has been culturally laid before me based on my heritage and whatever. Um, but I, what I see is a need to say, all right, I mean, sure, we can, we can chase out everyone who has questions or who sees things differently than us. And in my generation can become the new gatekeepers of evangelical Christianity. Mm. But I, I don't want that. Like, I don't, I don't want us to scare off everyone who thinks differently than we do. Like, that's not a future that looks appealing to me at all. Mm. And, um, and I, in the process, don't want to let go of, uh, a faith that means everything to me. Like, I don't want to let go of Jesus, but I don't want to stop. Like every time someone who walks away from the church, um, poses a question about, you know, like sees some assumption about their faith that they used to make that they're letting go of now. To me, that is such a good and valid question. And I'd be a fool not to wrestle with it myself and to Hmm. engage with other people that are wrestling with it. And so, yeah, so for me, it's, it's not like, Oh, I've I've got it together, and you guys are walking away. It's like no, you guys have been attacked in a way that is is different than what I've experienced. But I see it happening, and the the most embarrassing, shameful part is I think I've done it in different contexts, and that's that's like legitimately something that like I have and need to keep repenting of. Hmm. No, I I totally agree. I I I, I see that in myself too, and that to be honest, like that is something that keeps me up at night sometimes. Mm. Um, sure. With that being said, how, so all of these things that we've talked about, how would you like to see that embodied both in the more reformed conservative person? And how would you like to see, so this letter of love, this letter of, of lack of certainty, but also like this letter of health, I think is, is mm-hmm. the best way to put it. How would you like to see that em- embodied in uh, a, a more reformed or, or conservative person? And how would you like to see that in, embodied in someone like me who, who quite frankly, like has rethought a lot of these different doctrines yeah. and a lot of these different things. What does that look like? Like how, how do, how do the people that I've kind of not walked away from, but how do the people that I disagree with not look like a jackass and how do I yeah. not look like a jackass? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, I, I don't know that I can answer it all the way, but I, um, <laughs> I'll just give, like, so I'll give two examples from like recent conversations I've had. So, um, so I've told two people in the last few months um, that disagree with me in significant areas. So like one, one is a, um, a LGBT woman that's a friend of mine. And um, another one is like a, um, like a Mormon friend of mine. And um, so we've been talking about different things and I, I've been talking to them about it. And so the, fir- the first thing, like, for example, with my LGBT friend, I told her like, hey, so you and I disagree. I'm, I'm not affirming in my convictions you are affirming in your convictions and you know, you're like, she's married to another woman. She's got kids and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so I just told her like, so we disagree on this. Um, I'm, I'm convinced scripture says this, obviously you're not. Um, I don't think that's the most important thing about you or I like what our view is on this. And mm-hmm. I don't think that it precludes either of us from loving Jesus. And, and I told her, uh, like, and I said the same thing to my Mormon friend, like, um, I believe that I'm right and I believe that you're wrong. And I'm pretty confident that you believe that you're right and that I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And both of us actually think the other would be better if we saw things the exact same way. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I think her, she would be better if she viewed Jesus in the Bible the same way that I do. Like, I, I, I don't want to be, um, I don't want to lie about that. Like, I think that's true. You know, same thing with my Mormon friend. Like, I, I think that that's legitimately true. And I think that both of them are thinking the same thing in the opposite about me. 
but mm-hmm. what but what's beautiful is like they're both friends um we i have spiritual conversations with them often and um and it works because we we like value each other beyond our potential to be converts and so i feel like so like like you know both of them are valuable friends to me i love being with them i love them mm-hmm. and my love for them is not predicated on the possibility that they might someday change their views and view the view things the same way that i do mm-hmm. i think that's a pretty big mistake that we have made and I myself have made is like, let me befriend somebody so that I can convince them to see things the way that I do. Yeah. And, um, and that turns a person into a project and we all know that's wrong. Like that's so icky and it's just wrong because it's not love. It's like, I don't know, propaganda or something or manipulation. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say on my end and honestly, for someone in your same situation, I feel like what I would love is for us to have enough, um, dignity uh, that we offer to each other to say we can disagree man like like if, if you're a part of the church that i'm a part of we can like worship jesus together we can love the people around us together um and we can have hopefully enough uh self-confidence to not feel threatened by someone viewing it differently when they sit next to me in this hmm. and um and we can also realize like either Jesus is the most important thing or he's not. I know for sure I'm not going to change somebody else's view on anything at all. Like I will, I will try to always be faithful to have the kinds of conversations that I think God is calling me to have. And I will, um, I will try to always be um, faithful to not like hide my convictions or something or pretend that like, I don't believe something that I do believe. Like, I think we owe each other the dignity to be honest about things but I don't think the disagreements are the problem. I think it's the way that we treat each other in that and the distance we put around ourselves um, in our disagreements. And uh, so mm-hmm. that, that's what I'd love to see, man. I, so it's, and I don't think it's about like um, people that have been hurt by the conservative church and left the conservative church. I don't think it's about saying, hey, you guys got to come back and join us in our space again and we'll treat you a little bit better this time. Um, <laughs> I think that. It has to be mutual. You know, I think it has to be like, man, you're welcome to come join me in my space. I would love to come join you in your space. Um, it, whatever that looks like, you know, because, um, just like, I think you have some things to learn from me. I have a lot of things to learn from you as well. Hmm. And I think that like the path of following Jesus is like somewhere. And it's not even just, (laughs) if if we both want to follow Jesus, the path of following Jesus is not like the, the midway between where I'm at and where you're at. It's, it's like just with people, loving people, serving people, blessing people. Like that's literally what Jesus did. Hmm. Why would we think he wants anything different for us now? Yeah. No, that, that's money. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard this song, but there's a, there's a song by Gunger and it's, it's called, I think it's called Stronger Together. And there, there's a line where they're talking about all these different people groups that matter. And there's a line that it, it, they're going through like soldiers, unborn, black lives, uh, gay lives, fundament- and they say fundamentalists, and then they say, here's to life and all of its branches. And I think oh, that's dang. so yeah. powerful in the sense that you, you, there are so many people, and I'm so guilty of this so many times of, of I, I take my, my religious conservative fundamentalist roots and I just flip it. And I'm like, yeah. wow, yeah. like, look at what this person did. Like, can you believe them? Like, shame, 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 cancel, cancel, cancel. Instead yeah. of being like, but I need that. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, I need that. Um, totally. But yeah, no. And, and 
you said you you've said some like you said something interesting where you said that that I have a lot that I can teach you and you have a lot that you can teach me but in closing like I really want to I I was kind of flustered at the beginning because of some of the stuff we were talking about before we started recording but I really want to talk Mark up for a second of of what he's doing and how much I appreciate him Mark there's so many things that you've taught me either through people that you've mentored and and you've brought along yourself as a pastor, as a professor, as an author that have mentored me. And even though we haven't known each other very long, I can look back at those people and see that those people brought out the best in me because you brought out the best in them. And so I just really want to appreciate your heart for discipleship. I mean, this guy's written books on books on books and he's helped people edit their books. He He's helped edit Francis Chan's books. He's helped edit Preston Sprinkle's yeah. books. He's helped edit. He helped edit my father-in-law's forthcoming book. He's just a very generous person with his time. I, I feel like I can walk into a conversation with Mark and he is someone who will hear me. Even if we walk away disagreeing, I, I know for a fact that I will be heard. And he's someone that deeply cares about Jesus and, and the church. And so if you guys are listening to this, please go follow Jackass Theology and please go see what Mark's doing because it is good work and I love every second of it. Thanks, man. That is that is uh, totally unnecessary. Super sweet. Can I can I say one more thing before we're done? Yeah, absolutely. I respect so much your the journey you're on to. And um, it takes me back again to, to something Kierkegaard said. He talked about how every generation needs to wrestle fresh with the questions of the faith. Hmm. And, um, and it's not enough. Like he says, no one can be born a Christian. You can't just, it's not just something you inherit from your parents. It's not something you can grow up in. You have to reach this crisis point of uh, this is the moment that it becomes offensive to me. And he says like that offensiveness is like the gate that, that if, unless you pass through the offense, unless you see Jesus is actually like, well, what this guy is calling me to is crazy then, um, then you, you haven't actually, you know, had this encounter with Jesus. And so, um, so the kind of the way it makes me view it is it's like, it's like every generation is like swinging the pendulum, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I went into like John MacArthur land and I have been sort of swinging the pendulum back from some of the things I've seen in that. And honestly, next generation or or other people around me are going to need to swing the pendulum back from where I'm at. And I think a lot of where that kind of ex-evangelical disenfranchised people are at is is swinging the pendulum back from a thing that has maybe been well-intentioned in some ways but is unhealthy and so i would just say man what it like there's it's not about getting the pendulum to the exact right spot it's the swinging of the pendulum that is the health in it it's the the like real true authentic peace in the midst of it that means we're actually wrestling with jesus Hmm. and so anyway i see i see that with where you're at i see it in the questions that you ask i see it in the passion with which you talk about some of these things. And I even see it in the way that you describe some of your pain. And I, I really do see it as a sign of health as much as it hurts. And as much as there's all this baggage that comes with it, there's a sign of health in the midst of it, which is that you are wrestling with something that is real and that has sustained thousands of years of people as they've like found life in Jesus. So anyway, mm-hmm. keep going, man. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see you doing what you're doing. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate that. Before we go, um, where can people find you to interact with you? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I would just, I guess, start at jackasstheology.com. Um, you can, uh, we have like our Twitter links on there and stuff like that. I'm not on Facebook very much anymore, but, um, 
you can connect with me there too, but jackassthealogy.com and you'll read some really crazy articles there and you can connect <laughs> with us from there. That's well, it. So it's asshole hermeneutic, right? No, that's not it. That's not it. We <laughs> made a conscious decision not to do that. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's jackass theology. That's it. Okay. Dot yeah. com. I, I kind of wanted to get it in one more time. I, I appreciate it. I can understand <laughs> why. I can understand why. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for being with us today. Yeah, thanks, Chris.